0: Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 36 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today, we are joined by Ari Engel. With over $7 million in all-time live tournament winnings and countless millions more earned online, Ari's achievements also include a WSOP bracelet as well as emerging victorious in the 2016 Aussie Millions main event. Add to that nine WSOP circuit rings and two American Poker Awards and we've got a real winner on the show today. Today, our conversation will focus mostly on getting to know who this top professional poker player is off the felt. Ari, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Hi Ravi, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to be speaking with you. We've spoken quite a bit. We've done uh, a couple sort of written interviews in the past, but never like a whole hour long conversation and you know, I got to say this is something I've really been looking forward to do for a long time. Awesome. Thanks. Cool. So, you know, again, you've been interviewed, you know, you've been around in poker for many, many years. You've been interviewed numerous times. So, I did kind of want to try to make today's conversation a little bit unique and I'm actually in a pretty cool position to do precisely that as you and I come from very similar backgrounds and upbringings. So uh, to everyone who's watching and listening, to be sure, we will cover some poker during today's conversation, but I'm hoping we'll all really get to know Ari on a deeper level and cover some ground he's perhaps never covered before. So Ari, tell us and tell our audience about your early years. Where were you born, about your family, and what kind of education you had growing up?
1: okay um i was born in toronto uh l- my parents met there and uh quickly moved out though uh less than a year old we moved to south africa where uh, my mother's dad had been a rabbi there my father is a rabbi also he got his first job in a little town in south africa called boxburg hmm. uh left uh left there when i was three years old so i don't remember anything from there uh, moved to Australia, Melbourne, Australia. That's uh, where my first memories uh, were. I had a full Australian accent uh, for a while. Um, lived there till around 11 years old. Um, we then spent a year in Israel, um, where my mother, uh, she's a Jewish studies teacher. She went on a uh, fellowship program to Bar Ilan University, and. Um, Lived in Jerusalem, uh, Haranov neighborhood um, for a year, and uh, I at the time spoke Hebrew fluently with the proper accent. got to do the properly. Um, uh, then moved to uh, so. Um, then moved to. It's so confusing to me. It's not really, but it's so many places. Um, Annapolis, Maryland, for two years, um, and then high school was in Chicago, Skokie, Illinois. Um, then back to Israel again for a year for a post high school year where I studied in Bebasir, as, uh, I think you did too. Um, yep. <laughs> and, um, then I went to NYU, lived in New York, uh, got a degree in finance. Uh, but really I met Andrew Brown, who was my poker mentor teacher and learned poker, yep. um, and never did anything with the college degree really, but, uh, <laughs> um, I stayed in New York a few years and uh, then moved to Vegas. Um, So, yeah, uh, education was always uh, completely strict Orthodox uh, Jewish schools. Uh um, uh, Kind of more moderate uh, within the Orthodox thing um, until high school. And then high school, Skok Yeshiva, is kind of like maybe... uh, in between modern orthodox and karate orthodox. Um, right. um, uh, but yeah, but like uh for those like that aren't aware what that would be, like my high school year uh was like starting at 7:30 in the morning, uh going on the early days, going till 6:30, on the later days going till 8:30, mm-hmm. uh Sunday half day school, um only boys. Um, Secular studies was from 3 to 6.30 p.m. The rest was religious studies. Um,
0: So they called it the dual curriculum. That's what we call it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And basically it meant when I got to college, and only had a few hours of class a day. I was like, what <laughs> is this really considered like an education like a full time education? Like, what do we do like the rest of the time? So, I spent yeah. a lot of time playing poker. Interesting. Yeah. So, we're going to yeah. dive
0: into a couple areas there. First of all, I got to give the shout out also uh, to Barry yeah. Line University. That's where I graduated from. So, uh, okay. like okay. I said, a lot in common. Um, <laughs> So what I know is that, you know, typically the modern Orthodox Jewish families, you tend to sort of stay rooted for many years in a specific community. How is it that you moved around uh, to so many places and, and did you find that difficult um, socially a little bit? Um,
1: so uh, to start with the first, um, I guess each place kind of had their thing uh, of why we left. Um, you know, mainly they have to do with my father's job um, but South Africa, um, we kind of only got there. It was my like dad's first position, and then it's not wasn't the most safe place to be. It's not where my parents really wanted to raise us. Um, Australia was pretty good, um and we were there that that was the spot the spot we spent the longest as um, as a chi- uh, as a child. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure exactly. There are a few like small little issues, I guess. Mm but no like major issue for why we left. Um, but it's far from everything, like, you know, the whole family, like anytime you got, you want to go visit or travel anywhere, it's like a round the world trip. Yeah. Um, uh, Annapolis, Maryland was, um, there were no Jewish schools there. So uh, the first year I went to school in Silver Spring, which was a 45 minute drive. And then the next year in Baltimore, which was a 45 minute drive. And uh, a lot of time to sit and think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, basically like going into high school, it was going to be that my younger sister was going to end at three. My brother was going to end up four and I was going to end up five. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it kind of doesn't really work to do like that 45 minute commute with those time right. um, travels. Um, and yeah. And so, uh, each place had their thing for why it didn't work. Um, mm-hmm. socially it was, a. Uh, somewhat difficult i would say uh at times um uh mainly i was pretty okay with it um i didn't love like almost every place that i left i kind of didn't love leaving mm-hmm. um and then some took a little more time to get used to um but most most of the time it was pretty okay um mm-hmm. but maybe i don't know i mean obviously everyone's upbringing leads to what kind of person they are. And sure. so, um, there is,
0: yeah, there were definitely like pros and cons to it. Um, but like, uh, Did it bring yeah. your family sort of closer together? Cause you know, at least the, the few people who could understand what you've gone through, cause they went through it yeah. with you.
1: Um, I, I never have really thought about it in those terms. Uh, we are a very uh, tight close knit family. So maybe, maybe yes. Um, But uh, but at the same time, you know, when I was a teenager, I wouldn't say like I kind of was loving to leave home the second I could um, at Mm -hmm. 18. Um, So, yeah, there was. But yeah, but but I am very close with my family. That's
0: cool. Yeah. So let's talk about that, uh, that dual curriculum, all those hours spent in school, hitting the books, uh, studying, you know, I'm sure with with friends as well and studying in class um does that leave much time for other recreational activities what you do on like you you said even half day sunday you were in school that's something i even i never did i didn't do sunday school um yeah but what did you used to do on like on on weekends holidays were you part of like any youth movements or summer camps that sort of thing
1: um so as a as a in australia i was a member of a group called bane akiva which you probably know which is like a religious Zionist group um and uh, I was always into sports, uh, no matter where the place was. So in Australia, it was the Australian sports, like Australian football and cricket. Wow. And then uh, in the US, it was more basketball and baseball um, kind of thing, um, probably playing wise more basketball. Um, and so, yeah, so a lot of my like non-school time or studying time was that I I I was always though a very serious student and, mm-hmm. um, into studying uh i read history books for fun um so uh yeah i mean uh i guess like one of the things i was into in high school which uh which i kind of lost but maybe would have been i kind of wish that certain things would have been well anyway uh fantasy sports i was like super into but then when i got into poker i got out of those right and then like (laughs) now with the daily fantasy sports it would be like a merging of both worlds but i'm completely out of following right. sports. So it's not, uh, I, never, I never did get into that. You um, kind of really have to be
0: all in on each of those pursuits to you know. To yeah, master yeah, yeah. it, I
1: guess. And yeah, I mean, you know, poker has gone quite okay. So
0: it's yeah, not like- thank uh, God, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, obviously you've made uh, one heck of a career for yourself. One of the more successful professional poker players in the world. But, you know, like me, you know, getting involved in the poker world isn't necessarily something that the typical good Jewish boy tends to aspire to as a kid. So what did you think you were going to do when you grew up, before you met Andrew uh, at NYU? Um,
1: so I was majoring in finance and NYU is right by Wall Street. Um, I was thinking something in that uh, in that area wasn't you know, fully developed or even partially developed, but mm-hmm. that's why I was thinking about starting off. Uh, in college, I really liked um, uh, classes like that maybe eventually led to like management consulting world. Like uh-huh. I liked, there are a lot of like consulting style uh, uh, courses or whatever ideas that uh, I found that stuff very interesting. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, maybe something in those, but, uh, but I have always liked history related stuff also, but I don't know what kind of career uh, right. that really leads to. So that was not something I... I kind of thought about going back Um, now that I'm more, you know, financially secure and not, mm. you know, would be able to maybe work or do something, you know, where money isn't the primary uh, mm. I, I somewhat consider, but, you know, it's a lot of work. And, For sure.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Sliding Doors. Does that uh, ring a bell at all? I have not, no. Okay. It's kind of the, the idea of being like, that's a sliding doors moment. If you make the subway train, or if you don't make it, what changes as a result, like a butterfly effect? Uh, thing. yeah, yeah. So do you ever kind of have a, a moment like that, wondering, like, what your alternate timeline would have looked like had you not discovered poker and made a career out of it?
1: Uh, I haven't thought about it much, but, yeah, I mean, so many things, everything, uh, I like, uh, poker players love to, like, think about those, like, <laughs> you know, if this card would have come differently or whatever. Yeah. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I, I I more have thought about that um, mm. where, you know, at different times in my career, different things would, I mean, I can't imagine, like, even once I did get into poker, if the first month probably even, mm. like, uh, would
0: have gone differently, there's, you know, almost no chance I would have. Uh, yeah, but you, know, you weren't, like, making coin in that first month. I remember you were making, like, five cents, 12 cents, you know, like, how, well, how differently well, I, could it go?
1: or like once i got more serious like okay you know like once i stopped my job uh-huh. that when i was thinking first months i was thinking more like that um or but whatever it is whether the first year first week you know uh-huh. the whole time uh yeah. or or once when i really first started and was playing for very small amounts like if that if if i wouldn't have even had that like little inkling of uh you know results like there's a good chance um but yeah i don't i mean Yeah, things, uh, so many different stages, you know, uh, could
0: have gone differently, of course. Uh, Yeah. Interesting. Interesting to hear that perspective. So, uh, the following little nugget came from the Poker Stories podcast. Shout out to Julio Rodriguez from the Card Player magazine. You used to be a Balkore. That's uh, for, for those unversed in that, it's a designated reader of the weekly Torah portion. Talk a little bit about what that involves and why that's something you like that you chose to do.
1: Um, so uh, what what that involves is uh, there's like a special tune that you have to sing. Um, uh, parts of the Bible every week; it's a different part, and um, and it, basically they split the whole Torah into fifty portions, and it's quite a bit of work uh, to be able to learn that and um, and uh you know study it each week so you have a decent idea even though like compared to like the true professionals i was quite poor but um i i was i was good enough for the shows that i did work at Mm -hmm. um and uh and yeah and like i would uh i I was doing it in um in not my own area so like uh for the audience like you're not allowed to drive on the sabbath as an orthodox jew so i would uh walk depending on where I was uh, working for lack of a better work that week, uh, between half an hour, and an hour each way. Oh, um, wow. And this was in Chicago where uh, especially the winters are quite bad. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> wow. so I remember like quite a few uh, super cold walks and even the summer, that's not really a fun, uh, right. long walk. Um, but um, you know, I did get paid for it and um, I, I, you know, learned
0: the kind of skill that can stay with you forever or a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and which was it? Was it, you know, you know, getting a little extra pocket money or or that skill that, I mean, to walk every single week, you know, for, for yeah, quite a while. Yeah. I mean, I like to
1: think about all kinds of things are on a, on a, a lot of th- things are on a scale and not mm-hmm. either or, um, you know, I don't think I would have done it had I not gotten paid. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have done it if it was only money and right. not in no other, um, things so a little bit of both.
0: Okay. So yeah. you have, um, sort of a brief history of earning money, not as a professional poker player. So besides, yeah. uh, that job, what other sort of jobs, uh, if any, you know, did, uh, did you, have? yeah, yeah,
1: I definitely, um, I was, I was very motivated young. Um, I, uh, I worked at a, uh, well, I had a couple of uh, summer style jobs um, throughout high school. Um, One of them, I worked at a Jewish day camp, um, Mm -hmm. integrating a child who had uh, developmental uh, disabilities uh, like into a regular camp setting. So there'd be, you know, a a group of, you know, 15, 20 kids Mm -hmm. with two counselors. And then I would be the third counselor, but my Mm -hmm. specialty was like, you know, dealing with the one, the one child who, you know, had the one-on-one, but I was also kind of the number three for the entire group. Right. Um, I did that all four, uh, years of, uh, of high school, uh, That's beautiful. every summer. That's um, beautiful. yeah. What, and what, did, that what was, did you learn
0: from that experience? Um,
1: it, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but there's no doubt I learned, um, so much, so many things. Um, and, um, uh, and I still have very fond memories. Um, the kid that I worked with the first summer um, were Facebook friends. And I like keep saying the next time I go back to Chicago that we're gonna meet up again. And we have like, we I, I had a really good relationship. And also I was the youngest uh, counselor at that time. I was probably like 14. Uh-huh. And and he was maybe like ten or eleven. Oh wow! So, yeah, so you so, have a, a relationship for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just like each each summer was had had its own thing, and like the people I worked with were great, and it was it was a really you know good rewarding job. Beautiful. Um, and then I would also uh, do another summer job, which was working at baseball games, uh, selling water, hot dogs, peanuts, just that's like, amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> in Chicago
1: the, for the Cubs in, in Cubs and White Sox, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was this, um, you know, you obviously get to watch the games for free. If if you want. So it's basically it's a commission-based job. Um so some people kind of took it easy and ended up watching um a lot of the games and mm-hmm. a lot of and other people hustled more. It was commission and tips. It was a great very uh exciting job uh, sure. and pretty good money. And a weird quirk was like uh, in those days, I think this is not true anymore, but like half the vendors, that's what we were called, like we would go through the seats. Half of them were Orthodox Jewish kids. No um, kidding. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So like just, it was just like a, this like Chicago tradition. So Huh. everyone was doing it, so I did it too. Nice. Uh, and, and there yeah, was some great uh, Chicago team, the uh, White Sox and the Cubs were pretty yeah, good in the uh, 90s. So, it. yeah, in, in those days, uh, this, the White Sox, like, no one went to the games, uh, but the, co- <laughs> the, co- the commission was high there, and then the nice. Cubs were like, you, some years they were good, a lot of this was Sammy Sosa was an all-star at that time, and sure. some years were great, uh, but didn't make a difference. The, right. The, the, <laughs> the games well, were sold out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but like, uh, I think my sophomore year of, of, like in between sophomore and junior year was crazy. I would wake up at 5 30 and go to Dafyomi mm-hmm. every day, which is learning a page of Talmud, wow. and then go to morning prayers at like 6 30, then go work at the day camp. And then some nights, not too often, but like Sundays for sure, I would go to baseball games and, uh, so yeah, it was uh. That's yeah. so You know, we in
0: poker we often say, you know, who loves it more? You know, like that kind of dedication, yeah. man. That that's uh, yeah. a really amazing thing, and obviously it's a, a transferable skill for anything that you're passionate about. And that, that's exactly pretty cool. yeah. yeah. And yeah, and yeah, also so. just you know like like a little sort of a brief hiatus uh, in it Nachta uh, for our audience is <laughs> that you know again most of the interviews Ari does you know like, to me this is really cool. It's really you know yeah. interesting to see this side of you. Uh, We know about your poker site, and and I hope you're all so far interested, uh, you know, finding an interest in uh, Ari's life beyond the felt. Um, I'm wondering, do those earlier years of yours, you know, living regular life, you know, talking about these sorts of jobs you did just like anyone else, non-poker-wise, did that make you sort of, maybe even till today, make you look at money uh, a little differently than, you know, perhaps the typical professional poker player does?
1: Yeah, um, probably. I'm much more conservative than the average poker player, definitely the average professional poker player. Uh, kind of always have been. Um, my parents are quite conservative when it comes to like financial issues. Um, also, uh, Andrew Brown, who told me how to play poker, was very reckless uh, when it came to these. Okay. Um, so I kind of learned from him, um, some things, well, I, 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 don't even know if I learned not to do, but basically I saw the kind of things he was doing and I thought I did not want to do that. Um, you know, the swings and things like that. Um, but there's, you know, there's definitely like a lot of people like view this, oh, wow, that's so smart that he's smart with his money or, you know, uh, but it's not, it's not that clear. Um, because, uh. There's a lot to be said, especially early on, I think, to taking those shots, Um, especially like once I had a poker resume where Uh if things didn't go my way, I'd be able to get backing fairly Uh easily. So like the downside isn't really as bad as I might have imagined in my own mind. And um, I spent a lot of time um, playing, you know, smaller binds than maybe I could have or should have. But maybe maybe that was good. But. I can i can see kind of when you were asking about like these alternative paths I maybe i would be like playing jungle man if i you know and playing the highest stakes if i would be more willing to probably not i'm not saying like right. I but you know but there's there's some chance i like limited my own growth by my conservatism Got um and there's also some chance that i avoided going busto and That's not being a poker point. player so right. uh
0: yeah, I'm referring more beyond just like the bankroll management aspect of it. You know, I guess I could sort of relate it with a story of my own. You know, a, a buddy and I, we once played, I was playing 1-2 and he was playing 2-5. Both of us happened to have over three hours, you know, pretty incredible sessions. I won close to $700 of 1-2 uh, in a cash game and he won like $2,200 uh, also in the same three hour time span playing 2-5. We decided, oh my God, this is just great. Quit while you're ahead. Let's just go for a walk on the strip. And it's really hot. It's the summer and we're dying of thirst. And he's like, oh, let me just go and get a bottle of water. He comes back. You don't have no water. I'm like, what happened? He says, they wanted $5 for a bottle of water. <laughs> like, And these, you know, a couple of guys who just want $700, 2200 And I think, you know, yeah, that totally makes sense. If I wouldn't pay $5 for a bottle of water, we're still, you know, normal type of transactional mentality. So that's what I'm sort of wondering is, you know, you did all these things. You were a vendor, you earned, you know, pocket money as a as a and all these sorts of things. Do you I mean, would you pay five dollars for the water? You know, knowing that, you know, you refer to thousands as as K, 25K and 10 K. Yeah. Or?
1: Yeah. Um, I I, you know, um I would be less likely to, I would say, than most people in my position in the poker world. Um, Having said that, uh, I've been in the poker world a long time. And I, you know, uh, most years I probably do between half a million and a million. Well, not quite. I've never made it to a million in buy ins, but whatever it is, north of 500K buy ins for sure, the last like half a dozen years um, for sure. So, when you talk about will my expenses for the year and total buy-ins and everything be 500,000 or 500,000 and $5, you know, it's, (laughs) it's hard to be too, uh, you know, um, yeah, but, but at the same time, like, um, you know, let's say I do have 500,000 in buy-ins in the year. There's a good chance. Like my, you know, I'm maybe I had 600K in cashes and the difference, uh, between, you know, Having 10,000 or 20,000 more or less expenses that, that does turn into a significant amount of the right. actual profits that you're able to. So, um, it is something that I've always focused in, not just like poker players always focus on the top line, like getting the revenues as high sure. as they can. And a lot of them don't focus on getting the expenses under control. Yeah. And both, both of them. And sometimes there's a lot more low hanging fruit by, uh, by getting those expenses. And it's like, a lot you know a lot of poker players are very stressed about money uh-huh. um, but if you uh, if you you know if you have like less overhead you know it becomes like all of a sudden it's much easier to play at the poker table if like you don't need that money to cover the rent um yeah. you know so it becomes an easier thing sometimes being like a little more conservative about those issues.
0: I had a hunch you'd you'd start talking about that. So it dovetails very nicely into my next question. Um, I know that you've always been very into the airline mileage schemes and stuff like that, the credit card sign up bonuses. Um, can you kind of tell us sort of what what that whole thing looks like, like being into it? Because you know, obviously part of the reason you do it is very much to lower the overhead, get the miles, and then you know, you're traveling more for free than, you know, for pay. So what, what does that sort of look like and and how much time and effort uh, do you invest in kind of like maximizing the freebies?
1: Uh, so for a couple of years, I got, um, I probably spent like a fair amount of time on it um, and I was into it and kind of like, as you can hear from my uh, you know past, like if I get into something, I get like super into it sure. um, and wanted to learn a lot and uh, kind of see like, uh, like I've been, I've been homeless, uh, since, uh, I did the air quotes. I don't know if I made yeah. it on, uh, um, uh, I've been homeless since, uh, 2013, since the beginning of 2013. Wow. Uh, so, uh, I wanted to see like what kind of benefits it could help, um, you know, and then some of the things I learned are quite beneficial to me. And then a lot of things that I learned turned out, okay, it's, that's not really, uh, that beneficial to me um so um yeah like uh it so like one of those things like uh like i wouldn't feel that comfortable spending like uh spending like you know four or five six times as much to fly business class for these long flights and stuff like that but it is very nice to you know i travel to australia every year for example and um, you know the difference between being able to sleep on the flights and come in somewhat fresh and all that. Like it actually does make a difference um, for like the first three, four tournaments. Which sure. you know maybe I put in twelve k in buy-ins in those first three, four tournaments, and if I increase my ROI by ten percent, like so. There are all these different kind of ideas that come into play. Um, uh, so yeah, so I found um, where the thing that I like for my own lifestyle is getting these kind of luxuries I would say that I wouldn't feel so comfortable spending on. Mm -hmm. And, Uh and then I get, you know, uh, in, in a cheaper way or just for free, Mm -hmm. um, get, get the, get like a more, uh, you know, better quality of life, um, For for my situation. Um, but yeah, but there's like, uh, I mean, things like some of these cards, um, Most of the time you can't buy into a tournament with a credit card. Um, And if you can, it's very high fees, but there are a few stops where you can. Hmm. And now you can get like three to 5% back on your tournament buy-ins by using credit. Like it's Hmm. completely free money, like, you know, not doing those kind of things. Like the super low hanging fruit like that is just, uh, you know, uh, doesn't doesn't make sense to me.
0: So, yeah. Sure. You say that, you know, not all professional poker players do this sort of stuff. Is this the kind of thing, I mean, you no, know, we're always looking for an edge on our opponents, but this doesn't directly affect us negatively. You know, like this is, you know, especially when it's lowering your expenses, it doesn't, you know, hurt Ari angle that Robbie Straczynski lowered his expenses, you know, and then he'll be facing good. You know, like, right. is this the kind of thing you, you actively try to spread to more players or are people just doing it and not as public about it? Um,
1: no, I mean, I, uh, I've definitely shared this with a lot of players, i shared, uh, you know, information and things like that. Um, there, there is some level of work involved with these things, but, uh-huh. but a lot of times it's not very much. Um, and, um, and yeah, I'm, and I have, you know, a number of friends, acquaintances, um, over the years that have come to me and we've had discussions, phone calls and stuff like that, um to help them, you know, better take advantage of these things. I mean, uh, like in the U S, um, signing up for credit cards is like, they, they'll pay you $500 like to sign up for a credit card and spend a few thousand, you know, and doing that, you know, maybe twice a year, like it's a thousand dollars a year, whatever you were gonna, everyone puts money on credit cards. So you just do it on a new card, um, each year. Mm -hmm. So, um, these kind of things are very easy to do Um, if you want to go very hard and try and make, you know, 8K instead of 1K from, from that, that might be a little more work, Um, but those things are doable too. And um, so, yeah. So like among my like closer, even extended circle of friends, um, you know, I've like pitched at different times to almost all of them at some stage that they should get involved. And then, a lot of times, like someone who I just played with, who I'm not really, you know, friends per se with, but just acquaintances, um, they'll ask me questions and we'll have conversations about it. Nice.
0: That's, you know, yeah. it's, uh, the type of thing you're saying, it reminds me of like, um, there's a great in a Jewish book called a candle a day, you know, it reminds me of like, you know, if, if you take from one candle and light another flame, it doesn't diminish that candle that's a pretty cool thing to be and someone really appreciates a tip like that because it's genuinely you know either putting money in their pocket or or keeping money in their pocket that's a beautiful thing um you talk you talked about you know typically like a half million dollars in buy-ins for a year at the stage that you're at right now that's purely the buy-ins to the tournaments or does that also include the expenses of of the travel of the lodging you know that sort of
1: that's just buy-ins and you know i mean we shot through 500k uh a couple of years ago and it just seems to go up and up every year it doesn't really go down i mean barring
0: covid yeah, times
1: yeah. um yeah yeah so um yeah yeah
0: it's uh it's it's crazy but uh can can you sort fun. of ballpark what the additional expense is when you're talking about half a million dollars and in, in, in um I, just so people I, get an idea of yeah, you know, may, what you have to cover before you're showing your first dollar in
1: profit. Yeah, yeah, may, 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 maybe like a hundred thousand uh, oh. additional to mm-hmm. that, but it's but that that's that's a little harder for me to ballpark. Um, I'm lucky to have a really good accountant, and oh. I just send him all the different things and piecemeal. And he adds up everything, um, so I actually don't have like a great idea of what my expenses are and especially with the lifestyle I live, uh, it's very variable. Um, I I don't know, you know, in normal times, I don't know where I'm going to be in two, three weeks most of the time. Right. Um, I have some ideas and some general uh, thoughts. So I try and that's like one of the things that I like to do is live a very flexible uh, Mm -hmm. kind that, you know, you can, as a professional poker player, you're your own boss, you have a lot of freedom and flexibility. And, Different people take that in different directions and uh, the direction I like to take it in is just being very flexible um, as to where I'm going, what I'm doing, um, if I feel, you know, if i feel like showing up to work i do if i don't yeah. i don't um yeah if i want to yeah. play online if i want to play live if i want to play cash whatever you know uh, or, yeah. or sleep
0: late you <laughs> make sleep make up sleep. for yeah. those mornings at 5:30 when you're waking up yeah. the you know? so yeah <laughs> interesting uh, that's that's definitely um uh, you know insightful and uh you know again and the little nugget from there Guys, got to get yourself a a good accountant. You know, this is a lot of uh, interesting stuff. I I know from someone who sits at home 90% of the year, uh, you know, accountants can be, uh, you know, somewhat complex. So it's important to have the right people on your team. Um, In poker, it's important to sort of change gears. So we'll change gears just slightly, just a little pivot. Um, you had mentioned before that you and I did attend the same uh, Yeshiva, Higher Institute of Torah Learning uh, in the Vaserritsyon, just to, you know, situate people just outside of Jerusalem. Um, and you talked about this sort of flexibility. You like the flexibility. Um, up until then, with all of the various um, schedules and situations you were in, it's very like, this is what you got to do. And all of a sudden, for the first time in your life, you're really... Out on your own in the world, you know that's typical for many people post high school. You've got a year, and oh, okay, I can do what I wanted. I mean, of course, you sit and learn, but you know, you're you're pretty free for the first time. Do you have any sort of favorite memories or highlights from that year?
1: Um, so uh, I had lived in Australia three to eleven years old. Um, so uh, what basically happens within the modern Orthodox Jewish world is everyone your age group from around the world goes to Israel in that year. So I was able to reconnect with a lot of friends and even made new friends from that Australian group. Um, I also had, you know, friends in my yeshiva and stuff like that that I made. But that was very cool, just like from a social perspective, um, just, you know, making and building our relationships and friendships um, with different people. Um, I did love that even even in the context of Yeshiva with fairly strict rules. Um, it was, you know, so much freedom compared to high school. Yeah. Um, of course, very little freedom compared to college, which was coming, but you don't know, you know, at the time. Um, it's just um, you know, uh, great and uh it was good. I was into learning, so I enjoyed like the Jewish learning that I did. Um but at the same time, I enjoyed you know, going out with my friends
0: and uh, drinking and eating and stuff like that. Good stuff. Uh, reminds yeah. me of uh, of my year as well. And I don't know if uh, the authorities at the yeshiva are listening to this one. But look, anyone who's gone, they know that occasionally there are those little late night poker home games that go on in the dormitories there. I know you said Andrew Brown is how you sort of discovered in NYU. You were never the least bit curious to play in those home games? No, I did. Um, Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we played
1: uh, using uh, Q-tips for chips. (laughs) Um, You know, we didn't have chips around, but we had, you know, like people brought from America with them, you know, like uh, Costco size, you know, boxes of different things. So yeah, it was Q-tips, the late night. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So um, there was, I was not, a good poker player, like in those games, I, I remember, you know, some other, you know, guys were definitely better than me uh, in those games. And I wasn't really thinking about the game much in like this okay. uh, strategic, when I credit like Andrew with introducing me, it was introducing me to like the, a strategic way, even though it was, you know, when we think about like advanced 2003 poker, right. compared to like advanced 2021, it you know, it's a completely different world. But the idea of thinking about Poker in the strategic sense—that's uh-huh. uh, that's really where he came into play. I had okay. played a little bit beforehand, but it was more for a social, fun type of experience. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You win a lot of Q-tips, right? Uh, I I don't remember how I did. Uh, I definitely, it <laughs> wasn't major one way or another. Okay.
0: Um Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, I had that. Got that. Yeah. 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 When you um, when you first started out on the circuit, you know, like I said, you know, something that caught my eye and I imagine many other people's eyes that you wore one of these, these, these yarmulkes, the skull caps, and I wear one all the time, but only in my home games, never out when I'm playing poker. And I play plenty of poker in the poker rooms when I go. Um, part of the reason I don't, and I usually just wear a hat, is I don't want to draw too much kind of like extra attention to myself while I'm playing, you know, while I'm doing my media work, no problem, whatever, but... I'm kinda of wondering, you know, you did wear it out in the poker rooms. Is that sort of something you felt early in your in in your career? And is that also part of the reason why you stopped wearing it for the extra
1: attention? Um so uh it did get some extra attention. Um, but I was I I, I you know, growing up orthodox and stuff like that, I was just used to uh sometimes being stared at, sometimes being oh. um and well, it's true that it's a little more prevalent in the poker room, and um, especially in some of the more like far-flung uh, places that, or I shouldn't say they're far; they're just like places that don't have a lot of Orthodox Jews. Right. Um, so they're not used to uh, uh, having uh, people wear a yarmulke there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, so there were a couple of uh, you know being stared at or or, or things like that. Um, didn't didn't bother me, uh, really. And I did feel that one playing with people, that it was actually a strategic advantage. Really? Um, yeah, um, I think when people think of, well, firstly, you know, most people wouldn't have the greatest idea of what it meant. They would know that you're religious to some extent, right. maybe it has to do with Judaism. Um, you know, we know that, you know, modern Orthodox Jews Basically, live lifestyles like fairly similar to a lot of other people, but sure. um, in in a in a lot of people's mindsets, they would have a difficult. You know, they they kind of like uh, think like they're seeing a member of the Taliban show up. You know, um, <laughs> I guess and, so. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when you think about like a extreme religious person, you're probably thinking someone who doesn't spend much time studying poker sure. or thinking about it in a strategic kind of way. Um so so they underestimated I, did, you. I felt like people would under uh, people did underestimate me. Yeah. Interesting. Um, huh. I was also very young and there might have been a combination of a whole thing. Um when I started playing um just in general, like online players were looked down and kind of thought that they weren't good. Um so there was like here was this like young, super religious guy. Like I the whole combo um, seemed like it was beneficial uh, rather than not. And if people were going to, you know, stare at me a little differently, it didn't, uh, that negative didn't, you know, outweigh the
0: positive. Maybe I'll try it and see how it works out. Okay. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You mentioned you're uh, exceptionally close with your family and, um, and especially for someone who moves around as much as you currently do for the last eight years. I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, family is always so important. Uh, over the years, I've seen I've seen on social media how supportive they are of you and how proud they are of your success. Um, one might argue that such a supportive position for choosing the career of a professional poker player is atypical. Let's say from the modern Orthodox Jewish I,
1: household. And not only I, yes, I can't imagine there's many Orthodox rabbis that would be supportive of their kids becoming a professional poker player, and then uh, combine that with uh, some family members having gambling problems in the past. Um, So for sure, it's like unbelievable that like combination of factors and then for my parents to be so uh, positive and supportive of me. um, Yeah, it's a beautiful thing and it's great and it's testament to, uh, well, there's no chance that this is what they wanted for me. Uh, once I did choose to do this, they became extremely supportive. Um, and it well, was, how long did that take? You have to show them sort of like the winning record. Um, it was uh, so. So I remember in college, um, I where where I was playing very low stakes, but too many hours. Uh, you know, objectively, too many hours when we're spending a lot of money to attend the prestigious oh, yeah. school. Oh, um, awesome. I I I hid my play from them. Not. You know, they were not close to me. Um, they were actually living in New Zealand at the time. So uh it wasn't that difficult to hide the play, but um but I did. Um, but um when I decided to become a professional player, um they had like co signed loans with me and actually um took out a second mortgage on their house to help wow. me uh wow. um uh, yeah. So I did, you know, get their blessing to uh after having, you know, I'm I kind of had a little bit of success and made uh, six months of my salary, which was in a job, which was not um, what I had majored in. So I was in a very poor job, which was only supposed to be a temporary thing. Um, So, But I did get their blessing um, to do that. And um, so, yeah, which was, you know, so it was very, very quickly um, that the support was there. Um, And then uh, it's definitely grown over time. basically like a uh, traditional Jewish life involves, uh, you know, big Friday night, Saturday day meals, um, especially as the rabbi of the community having guests over. And um, basically every time I'm around there up until today, the topic of poker comes up and obviously, and I make my pitch as mm-hmm. to how poker is not like blackjack, Right, not like craps. Um, much more like investing. Uh, much more like a real estate speculator, or sure. or or that kind of world. Um, and so uh, from you know from early on when I would go visit New Zealand and started making those pitches to now they live in Southern Florida, and um, that's happened. So, uh, they can make that pitch for me just as well, and you that's know, and cool. so they're they believe in, you know, what I'm doing and they understand how, you know, I mean, they certainly would not like to have someone who is a professional negative EV gambler right? kind of lifestyle, <laughs> you know, but um, what I do is
0: is is acceptable to them. And, you know, yeah. Cool. And I confirmed that. It's not that you need the confirmation, but I listened to one of your talks in the last couple of months. You gave a Zoom talk to the members of that congregation and it was pretty eye-opening, you know, when you frame it through the eyes of the investment and, you know, using very much the same terminology as used in the finance world. And all of a sudden here, this thing does kind of start to make sense when you approach it uh, the right way, you know, you approach it like a business in a way.
1: Yeah. And I'm very disciplined,
0: you know, and stuff like that. So, yeah. For sure. Um, Ari, there's an old Yiddish saying, man tracht und Gott lacht, man plans and God laughs. Uh, Nevertheless, What are your plans? Have you got a plan for the next year, five years, 10 years in the future?
1: Not, not very much. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I don't have a lot of plans. Um, I can see my life going in a lot of different ways. Um, I could see it being quite similar to the way the last five years have been. And I could see big changes. Um, And, uh, and yeah, and I'm, fairly open-minded uh as to how as to how it will go. Um I uh, I'm quite content with my current life. Um right. but at the same time uh, you don't want to uh you know you don't want to just settle and um you know be be okay with no continued growth or oh. um, improvement in, in my life. So um I can see obviously like the big question you know, kind of medium to long-term is whether I want to have a family and, uh, kids and stuff like that. And, uh, well, that starts with meeting the right, uh, you know, wife, partner, but, um, I, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm very, like I said, I'm very content with my current life. I Mm -hmm. wouldn't mind, um, you know, finding a, uh, the right person to be with, but, uh, I live a very unique kind of lifestyle sure. and it makes uh, settling down, I guess, for lack right. of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, a big Challenging. Diff- yeah, yeah, challenging. And just like it would be a huge change for my life. So mm-hmm. uh, um, I don't know. I don't know if it will happen or not. And I'm kind of uh, okay with whichever way uh, it goes. I would like to have kids more than not like to, mm-hmm. but I don't want to just like, force myself. Okay. I got to, I got to get married. I got to have kids
0: now. Right. It's got to happen. Um,
1: so yeah. We'll I don't see, feel that uh, pressure.
0: Yeah. I guess time will tell if, if that's meant to be and if the, the right person comes along to, to steal your heart away from the felt. Um, yeah, yeah. My uh, final question before we move into the community questions for you, Ari, um, you know, we're not supposed to be necessarily goal oriented in poker. I want to make a, a certain amount of money or anything like that because that could sometimes tend to lead towards disappointment. The general goals lead towards uh, improvement, to be more well-rounded, that sort of a thing. Do you have any sort of specific, if not goals, then things that you are working on as far as your skill set, things you do want to improve, get better at?
1: Um, so uh, I have started playing a lot more mixed games. Um, in the well, I always played them and messed around in them. Um, and, you know, uh, I've been playing course ornaments on full tilt since 2006, I would say. Wow. And, uh, and I play tons of Oma Hilo um, mm. just over the last 10, 12 years. Um, and, you know, in the last three years, I've definitely played more Oma Hilo than I have Nolan Holden. Um, and so I, I, I like playing those games. Um, I don't know. To what extent i want to play more of them or less of them Mm -hmm. um i i'm not at the same so like i'm definitely a better no limit holden player than i've been probably at any stage in the past but i am worse relative to the top players than than i was for many of the past 10 12 years Interesting um, qualification
0: there. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: so uh, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I don't know, I I I I if I, I definitely have to uh, get if I if I want to compete at the highest. And again, like if I, if I want to compete at the highest high levels, um, I got to get better at no limit hold. Or I can just yeah. be content and not play the highest of high levels and play somewhat reasonably high levels. And still be quite good. Um, right. but um, but yeah, so like a you know, poker, which is one of the things that I've loved, is you know, it's very much a meritocracy. And it doesn't make a difference who you know, it doesn't make a difference that I used to be really good or you know, that I have a lot of career winnings, like that doesn't make a difference. Like to tomorrow's game, it, it, if someone is better, you know, they're gonna they're gonna have the expected value from tomorrow's game, and I will not. Um, so, uh, so it's one of those things where, uh, there's, you know, in the poker sense, um, I, uh, I have a lot of work to do, even though I am quite good and very successful and all that. Um, I, yeah, so, um, but yeah, I don't know if that's a goal necessarily, um, but that's kind of where my mind went when you asked the question, but yeah, it's an interesting thing, uh, when you, uh when you said like not having like financial goals, like uh, you said at the beginning, like my career cashes, which might be like 7 million or something. Um, One day, one tournament is 15% of that. You know, so I've been playing 15 years and one tournament is 15% of that entire number. So yeah, having like number-based goals just doesn't, it doesn't work, doesn't make sense. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so
0: someone, I forget who uh, wrote, I think it was Marley. On the uh, no, that the tagline of the Hendon Mobs site should be well, how much did you lose though, or something like yeah. that? Something like that. <laughs> no, no, of course it's never. You know, we we know about the earnings, but it's certainly a yeah. lot more than meets the eye in the numbers that you see online. So for sure, yeah. So uh, this is now the segment of the show that we turn to all of you listening and watching our Cards Chat community to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forum for this. So, as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. And a couple of people who have sent in questions this time are Crystals and Acid Burn FX, two great, very often uh, big time contributors uh, to each of our shows here on the Cards Chat podcast. So, uh, Crystals asks um, who, You have had two massive caches at the Aussie Millions in 2016 and at the WSOP in 2019. Of those two, which RA would you say was tougher to win? Mm,
1: um, which was the tougher? Uh, none. That neither of them like stick out as definitely tougher than the other. Um, I think uh the average, the average player was tougher in World Series, but I would guess the field size was small or. My recollection is the field size was uh smaller in the mm. World Series yeah. uh, tournament. Um and it was a later year. Every year the poker world gets tougher. So mm. I guess I'm gonna answer the World Series uh was a tougher thing. Um but Aussie Millions was definitely more meaningful to me first mm. because it happened first, it was bigger um and more, you know, even though not even though I wouldn't say necessarily life changing, but more towards that. You know life
0: changing idea interesting, and I'll just sort of throw in a, a follow up here to, to Crystal's question. Um, you know, famously, your heads up opponent there was Tony Dunst. I don't remember who your opponent was at WSOP. Um, does that make it perhaps also more meaningful, more challenging? Is that a factor that you had there when you were making the job? Uh, yeah, so
1: so a couple of interesting stories regarding uh that. Um, so uh, firstly, like it's somewhat famous story that tony dunce uh lost the 5k chip right. um when he was in line to register so he was playing for a relatively small percentage of himself mm-hmm. and mike mcdonald timex um had a very big percentage of himself and um me and tony are good friends and uh go up to tony you want to discuss the deal it was a 400 000 plus difference between first and second right um so uh I've never played for stakes like that before. It's a lot um, of money. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and basically he goes, uh, you know, it's not my money. It's Mike McDonald's money, you know, go 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 talk with the master. And wow. Mike McDonald, maybe seeing that I was so eager to chop, maybe, uh, maybe thinking Tony had an edge, um, hmm. you know, at that, Tony is great player, phenomenal player, but I think he would uh, say himself that he's gotten way better in the last few years. And at that time, he wasn't, he was kind of out of the poker world to some extent, playing wise. Uh-huh. Um, he was more involved in, uh, daily fantasy sports, I believe, uh-huh. just not as serious of a player. So I thought I had an edge. Um, and I not, and I never agreed to take, uh, less than the, what the chips would dictate, less than the ICM I see right. v- value. But, um, in that spot, given that the money was so big. And given that they didn't want to do a deal, I actually did offer to take less than what the really? fair share would be, wow. and um, and they said no. Um, so uh, that made it, it. <laughs> yeah yeah so I made it extra extra special. Um, cool. In the in the World Series heads up, I was playing against a guy. Uh, his last name is Malongo. He's uh, not very well known in the live world, maybe. Um, especially not among like the hardcore players, but he's a phenomenal online player. Very, very unorthodox. One of, um, you know, just like seeing him play that tournament was kind of crazy. Um, And um, I got so unbelievably lucky heads up. Um, We started, uh, he was two to one ship lead and it lasted like seven hands. Oh my God, wow. I, I think I won every hand and maybe I lost one of them. And um, the huge hand, I got it in quite bad. And then the final hand, I got it in really bad. Um, So (laughs) I just got like that World Series. I remember after I went through, I I had, I think, 12 all-in preflops where I was behind and won. Wow. Um,
0: Well, variants. Eventually, you got to win some of those, (laughs) right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, Wow. Yeah, the World Series was always my... uh, um, Kryptonite, I think they say, I had done so unbelievably poorly in at World Series. Um, it was my 15th year that going to the World Series, and I had never made a final nine. Mm. And, um, you know, I played quite a few tournaments, and uh, I'd hired a mental health coach uh, at one stage, and uh, I was, you know, my close friends were had to bear the brunt of me uh, crying a lot mm. about can i do it how what what's the story is it the summer is it the desert right is it what what's the story is it because it wasn't just rio even it was like everywhere in vegas in june july
0: wow
1: well like i did well in may i did well in june in, in november but june and july i never did anything and then all of a sudden my numbers are okay in june july like that's tournament poker basically wow. uh,
0: the well, you must tony. be very happy that this year's world series is going to be october november so that's uh, <laughs> works in your favor i guess yeah yeah <laughs> and just uh, you know you mentioned tony dunce shout out to tony he was uh, episode number 11 always a good occasion to uh let our audience know we've got a bunch a couple dozens now of other episodes that you can listen back to here on the cards chat podcast uh back to crystal's question number two ari you have played poker all over the world. Where has been the most memorable place you have traveled to for poker?
1: Um, Aussie millions, not to go back to it, but that, that's what comes to mind uh, right away. By far, my biggest score, um, going to Australia in January, where it's like bad weather in the US and uh, there there usually is a, a break in tournament poker towards the end of December. Um, so it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a really nice uh, place. Like a lot of, you know, like let's say in LA, if you go to a poker, if you go to tournaments there, usually the casinos are in the bad part of town or in most US cities, they're in the bad part of town. Uh, in Melbourne, it's like in the nice part, in the beautiful mm. part of town. And um, so you have that. It's just like great casino, um, great tournaments. Um, yeah, so uh, cool. yeah, that's what that works. fine.
0: Nice. Um, and finally, from Crystal's, you, uh, considering your birthplace and the number of great Canadian poker players out there, you have very few big caches on your hand in mob in Canada. And I will just note, you're number 11 on the all-time list in Canada. Why do you think that is? I would uh, I would
1: argue and uh, perhaps question Crystal's research. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um I think I've done quite well. So firstly, uh, there aren't tons of Canadian tournaments um, that okay. are kind of big enough to warrant traveling to, um, let's say, 1500 US dollar or higher main events. Um, most of them take place in uh, Montreal at uh, Playground. Right. And I find that to be a great venue to play poker. I really enjoy going there. I usually go there like three, four times a year. Um, I uh, final table. Uh, there was a big party poker, I don't know what the brand name, might have been called Millions, it might have had a different name, um, tournament there in like maybe 2017, I got like fifth, I think, for uh-huh. a six-figure score, um, and um, I feel like I've done fairly well um, there, And uh, but yeah, but maybe like the lack of tons of scores is just uh, uh, a lack of like there aren't that many tournaments that, uh, yeah.
0: Fair. And now on to uh, Acid Burn FX, always asks some of the most creative questions. So we've saved with a name like that. Who would have thought? (laughs) (laughs) So we got two final questions before we wrap it up. Uh, Okay. What memory would you erase if you could? nothing comes
1: to mind i mean you know i have some bad beats and stuff like that but i don't know you know i mean i wouldn't say usually also in tournament poker um the high equity bad beats will be when you're really deep in the tournament Uh so uh like the worst bad beat i took i got not going to go through the hand don't worry audience but uh Um, I got fifth in a really big tournament, you know, so I still got fifth in that really big tournament. Like, yeah, sure, you know, so there's usually a decent consolation prize um, for that. I'm really lucky, like I grew up in a loving household and everything was, you know, overall great. Um, I don't have, you know, any like traumatic memories that come that come to mind. Uh, Yeah. Beautiful. That's
0: a that's an amazing answer to have to a question like that. Um, Yeah. Finally, and I guess this is just a little bit, a uh, little bit out there, but uh, you know, it's a great question. What is the biggest challenge of your life?
1: Um. So going back to the last question, I've been very blessed, very fortunate. Um, to, uh, you know, whatever, whatever My the, the true answer to that question is going to be, it's going to be like in the, I feel like it's probably in like the bottom 10% of mm-hmm. like people, you know, for like challenging, like uh, biggest challenge of my life. Um, yeah, it's just been like so unbelievably smooth. Like I was, you know, if we look at my poker career, I got into it in uh, seriously in like. 0304 time just as it was like steaming up and any and anyone who was trying to think about it strategically and work somewhat hard was very likely to do well and make money and um I got this unbelievable uh base both financially and like mentally and like uh strategically and all that like so that even though I have, of course, gone on swings and stuff like that, having that, you know, having that base Mm -hmm. is just makes it so much easier. Um, so poker wise, it, there, it's not been like an unbelievable challenge. Um, and, uh, and then outside of poker, I got into poker at such a young age that, you know, I mean, I went to college and then after college, I became a professional poker player. It's been, I've been, I've had, Really, really lucky,
0: lucky life. Awesome, beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh, that's an amazing answer. And again, also just you know <laughs> very self-aware to 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 acknowledge you know that you that you've run good in in a good yeah, way. And yeah. that's, that's a uh, pretty cool thing. Um, yes. Well, thanks uh, so much to everyone who sent in questions for Ari Angle. And again, just a reminder to our Cards Chat community: we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you'd like the show. Um, Ari, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners and people watching?
1: Great um, review. Give five stars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, thanks for having me, Robbie. Uh, it's been nice chatting. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's cool that. It's cool to be in this opportunity in this like kind of world where people actually want to talk to me and just like uh yeah uh so um yeah awesome well, i'm Appreciate glad you
0: it. i'm glad you enjoyed yourself and you know like i said at the beginning we wanted to get to know Ari deeper and we all know it's not what's outside but rather what's what's inside that counts the most you know the Ari angle that i've gotten to know over the years and i think that we've all gotten to know over this last hour uh, and that the poker community, poker community knows is a true class act. What We call an absolute mensch and a great representative for our game. And I would say also for our, our tribe, the chosen people. Thanks again so much, Ari. Uh, thank you for tuning in once again, everybody, to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life, And I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.